Do you believe that the Bible works? Do you believe that the Bible, maybe you didn't hear me. Do you believe that the Bible works? Yes, yes I do too. And you know what? I believe it even more when I'm able to see someone whose life's been changed by it. It helps me as I hear about life change in other people to be motivated, because I know intellectually the Bible is true, but I feel it inside my soul when I see it being lived out in someone's life. This last week I was hanging out with some guys talking about last week's sermon, 1 Peter 3, what it means for a wife to win her husband without a word, and the brother that I was with said, I've lived that text. I said, what do you mean? And he told me the story of how God reached his heart. I wanted to pull out my iPhone in the middle of Panera and record it. And so instead, I asked him to come to church and record a video. I want you to hear the story of Brian and how 1 Peter 3 changed his life through his wife. Okay, watch this. My name is Brian, and I am a follower of Jesus because of how I have seen my wife live out 1 Peter 3. My wife and I got married out of college. Uh, not too long after uh, she became saved, uh, she started uh, living out this new life as a new creation. And um, there's probably about um, uh, five to ten years there where we were kind of not on the same page. You know, at one point um, there was a lot of bitterness um, in my life as far as this changed person. It was not the, the person that I had married. I knew who Christ was and I knew the, all the stories, um, but I did not know uh, what it meant to actually live it out. And just watching her and seeing her in her gentle, um, humble, quiet spirit um, respond uh, to things in our marriage and outside of our marriage, uh, it was a, a light uh, that I could see. You know, I saw Christ for the first time you know, through my wife. And uh, that's just uh, so incredibly cool. <laughs> and I love her to pieces for it. I know he's not the only one. Brian's life was changed because of a godly woman. And you may be that kind of woman right now trying to help your husband see the beauty of who and what Christ is. And I want to encourage you to keep following after Jesus. Church, what we're talking about this morning is more than just words on a page. We're talking about real people, real marriages, and really important truths. We're trying to figure out how does being a Christian exile relate to the most basic structures of life, including marriage. What, what does it mean to know that you're a as Peter calls you, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people of God's own possession. Your, your, your king is Jesus, your sins are forgiven. So then, how do you respond to the government? Does that then give you freedom to say, my king isn't in Pennsylvania Avenue, my king is Jesus. Or does the Bible call you to do something differently? And we've learned that the Bible calls us to submit to human institutions, even though they're not ultimate. The Bible calls us to be the very best employees that we possibly can, to be able to honor those who God has placed over us. God has called wives that are in difficult marriages to figure out, how do I give my husband the gift of my submission when he doesn't deserve it? 
in order so that my husband can see the beauty of what Jesus does or so that my employer can know that I work as unto the Lord while I'm working for you, or a human institution would, would know that these people who name the name of Jesus are the very best of our citizens, but yet they're convictional and they won't violate their conscience. Last week we saw that this godly submissiveness is a powerful strategy for a wife to reach her husband's heart. It's the mark of what true beauty is, and it is part of the long legacy of those who have been godly women throughout the history of the church. I ran into a number of women who are living this kind of ministry on a daily basis, and we have many of them in our church, and I just want to encourage you that if you have that kind of person in your sphere of influence and relationship, be sure you continue to pray for them and help them. It's a hard place to live as an exile in your most intimate of all relationships. Our text today continues this focus on marriage, but it directs our attention not towards the wife, but rather towards the husband, and asks, the question as to what does a Christian exile look like as a man when he's married? And rather, being marked, rather than being marked by the disobedience that we heard about in verse one, where a wife has to deal with a disobedient husband, now Peter turns his attention to what does it actually look like when a husband gets it, when he's, when he's using the authority that God has given him, when he's using the, the strength of who he is to, to platform in his marriage something beautiful and powerful and meaningful. You see, he's talking to husbands not in the same way that he talks to wives because these wives were living in difficult marriages. Culturally, they were under pressure because of the fear of what would happen if I didn't follow my husband's God. And now, in this text, he's talking to husbands who, in Peter's day, had more authority and in some respects were even viewed as superior, and how do they use their platform in marriage to say something about the gospel? In other words, do people who see your marriage see anything different about it? So, we all come at this text from different positions in life. Let me just give you some keys to unlock this text depending upon what your life status is. If you're a married man, you need to listen to this passage very carefully. I'm gonna speak directly to you often throughout this sermon. You need to know that there are a number of passages throughout the New Testament that speak as to what a husband is to be and what he is to do the kind of pace that you are to set, the kind of tone that is to be a part of your life, the kind of actions that you are to take, this is one of probably four or five key texts in the New Testament that represents the essence, the target, of what it means to be a godly husband. At the end of this message, I'm even gonna ask for some of you to consider what progress points need to be taken. There's some of you who if you're honest today, you've come to this text and God's gonna meet you here because you're not living out 1 Peter 3, 7. My hope is you'll head home today a different man. If you're a single man, if you're a young man, what I'm gonna talk about here is what you need to model. If you're not yet married, if you're in the process of a dating relationship, this is what you need to grow up into. You need to start practicing this now. 
the qualities we're going to talk about, the thinking that we're going to address, that, that should be the target of what you're striving toward. And I would encourage you also, as a young single man, there are many godly married men in this church, and if I were you, I wouldn't waste that. I'd find a man who looks like he's godly, take him out to coffee, and ask him if he is. <laughs> and then find out how you can follow after him. Listen, you need to know 1 Peter 3, 7, he's going to have a single young man because you're going to need to be this in the future and you need to start learning how to do this right now as you're showing interest in women. If you're a married woman, this is what you should pray for your husband. If you're seated next to your husband, you need to know that in this moment he's going to feel a certain level of pressure and a certain level of disappointment that he isn't everything that this text is going to call him to be. We just aren't. But if in ways he does demonstrate this, you ought to affirm him. You ought to tell him you're proud of him. You ought to thank him that he's doing the very best that he can to try and follow after Christ. And, and when he's lacking, and he will be, to do your best to not be disappointed, not compare, to not be demanding, but instead to try and help him to follow Jesus. If you're a single woman, what I'm going to talk about is the kind of man that you should look for and long for. Don't settle for some warm body because you don't want to be alone. Use this text as your framework and pray, God, would you give me this kind of man? And then finally, if you're not a Christian, what I'm, what I'm going to share with you today is how, how we believe as evangelical Christians that what happened at the cross with Jesus not only takes care of our sins, but it transforms the most fundamental relationships in life, including marriage. And what I hope to be able to show you, hope what you'll see today, is this thing called the gospel just changes how people think and what they do. And my hope is then you'll be strangely drawn and want to receive Christ. So this text has one command and three reasons. So a command and then three reasons. Let me unpack this for you. The command very simply is, husbands, be considerate. Verse 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. So the way that husbands are to live out their exiles, the way that a Christ-treasuring, gospel-loving, Bible-saturated man lives is first and foremost by being considerate of his wife. Notice that verse 7 begins with the word likewise. We've seen this word before, have we not? Verse 1 Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands. So what Peter's doing is connecting what he said to wives to what he said to husbands, but he's connecting it in a different way. Whereas wives are to learn how to suffer in a bad marriage by following the example of Jesus, husbands are, and certainly some husbands are suffering in a bad marriage, but Peter's main point is this, not that husbands are normally living in some sort of pressure cooker environment where they're being oppressed by their wives in terms of some abject persecution. Rather, Peter is saying that they need to live out Christ's likeness. They need to follow Jesus' example in terms of how he lived and how he used his authority and what he did with it. So when we read that verse 23 of chapter 2 says, when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. Jesus had all of the authority you could ever possibly need, want, or desire in that moment, and yet he chose to lay his life down. So husbands, 
Realize that the Bible calls us to love our wives, listen, as Christ loved the church. That's a huge calling. I'm to be Jesus to Sarah. That my kids would understand the gospel by what they see and how I interact with my wife. So, we're to follow the example of Jesus in this crazy upside down logic of the gospel. That the one who had ultimate authority used it to serve, not to be served. This last week, the worship arts team and I spent a day together as we have for the last three years talking about how, how do we intentionally create and lead you on Sunday mornings so that you understand the beauty of this upside down logic of the gospel and the reason why that's a really important thing for us to think about is because when you are singing, you are reaffirming what you believe to be true and our hope, my hope would be that as you sing, you make the connection between the beauty of the gospel and how you talk to your wife on the drive here. And as you're singing, the love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it suddenly God reminds you, yeah, that's the gospel, and what were you doing in the car? And your heart is struck, and you realize, yes, help me, Lord, help me, Lord. And there's an elder praise that, that you're reminded of the needs around the world and the needs that exist within our body, and you're reminded that life is bigger than you because all week long we've been tempted by things that have tried to convince us that, that our needs and our desires and our wants are preeminent and, and, and that our life needs to be designed the way that we want it. We have all these things, and once a week we need to be able to gather together and be reminded about truths bigger than ourselves so that those truths can then connect to car rides and dinner table conversations and pulling a vacuum cleaner out of the closet and grabbing groceries from the car so that we know what it means to love our wives as Christ loved the church. So he says, likewise, brothers, he's connecting you to the example of Jesus. He then says, live with your wives in an understanding way. The word live simply means to share quarters with someone. It's, it's, it's like the, most, the basic word that just means your life is intertwined with another person. And we, we use this in lots of ways in our own culture. In fact, in some ways that I have a bit of a problem with. For instance, when a couple that's not married is living together, we use the term living together in order to communicate that they're acting like they're married even though they aren't. And so we call it living together. Why do we say living together? Because that's what married people do. They live together. It means that their lives are, are woven together. So live captures the essence of what it means for a man and a woman to have a life that's not just close, but woven together. Live with your wives in an understanding way. The word understanding is the word in the original language for knowledge. It's the word gnosis. If you grew up using an old translation from the 17th century, King James translation renders this as dwell with them according to knowledge. The idea is that you know something and because you know it, therefore you're considerate. I mean, just think of it. 
you can't be considerate if you don't know something. For instance, if you're going to be considerate and buy someone's coffee when you're in line at Starbucks in the drive-thru, in order for you to be considerate, you have to look in your rearview mirror and know that they're back there. You have to know something in order to be considerate. Or if you're going to open the door for someone as they're coming in, you have to know that they're there. If you've ever gone overseas, you know, this is one of the challenges of culture shock. is because what you know in this context is different than what you would know in another. And so considerate and being considerate is different depending upon what you know. For instance, I've been in like Southeast Asia or Africa, and how they think about lines is very different than how we think about lines. And, and being considerate doesn't mean that you can't crowd or push, you can kind of box people out or things of that sort, and you've got to know about that culture, otherwise you'll violate rules of consideration, or you'll think you're being inconsiderate when you're actually not. So men, what this means is that in order for you to be considerate, you have to think. You have to use your brain. You have to know some things. You'll, you'll never be considerate if you're not thinking or seeking the right kind of knowledge. So what are some things that you need to be knowledgeable about? Let me give you five. There's probably 30, but here's five things that you need to be knowledgeable about. Number one, brothers who are married, you need to be knowledgeable about marriage. It means that as a husband, you just simply need to be aware that you're living with another human being. <laughs> it means that you make the transformation from not just being a single person to now you're a married person and how that just substantially changes your life. It means that you are actively concerned about another person, that you've taken on all the rights and privileges of being married and that your life is now directly attached to another human being and you gotta think about that reality. You remember the transformation when you went from single to married? That was kind of rocky at times, wasn't it? I remember the moment that I realized, man, I gotta really think about what I'm doing. I've never shared this illustration on a Sunday morning, you'll know why in a moment, but I've been here long enough to think it's safe. <laughs> now you're really interested, aren't you? So uh, on our drive down to our honeymoon in Jekyll Island, Georgia, we stopped at a hotel, and three o'clock in the morning, I was awakened by this blood-curdling scream I sat up in bed, what in the world was that? My wife comes out, my just soon married wife comes out of the bathroom rather angrily, and I knew her well enough to know that walk was a problem, and she came to the edge of the bed and she said this, quote, Mark David Vrogup, and typically in my life when those three words go together, <clears throat> that, that portends a um, not uh, enjoyable conversation that's gonna happen next. And she said, Mark David Rogoff, we gotta get one thing straight right here, right now, at three o'clock in the morning. And I said, yes ma'am, what, what is it? She said, from this point forward, you will put the toilet seat down. <laughs> yes. And I said, I, I know that's true, I know that's true. And so I, that has transformed my marriage. Taking notes in your Bible, do not write toilet seat in the <laughs> margin, but I promise you, a year from now, you'll be reading this text, you'll be like, you'll be smiling, and your wife will be like, what's you smiling about? Think about toilet seats, and it's true. Brothers, there's lots of things you need to know about your wife and what it means to be married. It also means you gotta know not only about marriage, but also about yourself. Brothers, you have to know what you really like. You need to know that you're not as easy to live with as you think you are. 
man, when my wife or kids are gone, I'm so easy to live with. It's a breeze. You need to know where your personality, where your passions, where your desires, where your idiosyncrasies, where your weaknesses make you a hard guy to live with. Sometimes living with you can be pretty tough. So here's my assignment. Sometime in the next day or week, ask your wife. So honey, I'm sure there's a few things that I'm hard to live with. Can you just give me one that's kind of hard for you to live with and see what she says? Don't be a coward. Come on, ask her. <laughs> Third, marriage yourself. You're, you need to be knowledgeable about your wife. You need to know what makes your wife tick, what she loves, what's irritating, what she values, what's scary to her, what makes her content. You need to know about her burdens, about her pressures, the unique challenges that she faces. You need to know about her needs, about her struggles, her emotions, the state of her soul, what, what makes her thrive. You need to study the various seasons of life that she's in and what are the unique challenges with those. You need to learn what's important to her and what's meaningful. Husbands, you need to study your wives. One of the things is a small little thing amongst a number of things that are important for Sarah, but one of the things that is, is important to her is that when she gets done grocery shopping and pulls into the, the garage, her dad used to go and grab all the groceries and bring them all in the house and, and, and do that. And so kind of her growing up, that's what men did. They went and grabbed the groceries. And so the first time that I didn't do that, I could see the disappointment and the, the difficulty because it had been shopping all day and then you just can't go and grab the groceries. So now I know. And when she comes in the garage, it's like boop, 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 boop. You know, I'm, I'm throwing on my, my uh, grocery grabbing cape and I'm gonna like, go out there and, and I'm not just gonna grab one grocery bag, no, 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 it's a game. Like, I'm gonna see if I can get them all, like, right? So I'm coming in, my fingers are about cutting off, and I'm like, uh, yes, whoa, you know? Clapping for myself, and the kids are like, what's going on, right? So, and what I'm doing is I'm being considerate. Getting an award, the cape, it's awesome. Communication, number four. Listen to her, talk to her. Ask her questions. Figure out what she's, listen, figure out what she's really saying. <laughs> Learn the difference between fine and fine. <laughs> there's, listen, I, there's a world of difference between those two words, okay? And if you're like, they sounded the same. Go find an older guy and take him out to breakfast. <laughs> Explain the fine thing to me. You need to, know, you need to know what to say and you need to know how to say it. You need to know when to say it. You need to know when to say nothing. You need, when to, you know, you need to know when just to hold her. You need to know when she's looking for advice. You need to know when she's asking you to fix the problem. And brothers, it isn't that women are like demanding and so complicated. Some of you right now in your soul are just like, oh, brother. It, it means we'll see this in a moment that she's a special gift that God's given you and you study other things. In fact, you study what you love. Has to go to your house, look at your bookshelf. I can tell you what you love pretty quick. Go in your garage, I can tell you what you love. You study what you love. The idea of living with our wives according to knowledge or living with them in a considerate way means that you 
You understand who and what she is. Finally, number five, knowledgeable means taking actions. You see, information and intentions are not considerate if you never do anything about them. You may know your wife wants you to listen to her. You may know that you should listen to her. But if you don't act on it, if you don't turn the TV off, put your phone down, look her in the eye and really listen, it's just not considerate. So those are just five categories. I could go on. Other categories like women in general or culture or uh, relationships, common fears, understanding her sexuality, understanding physical challenges. You get the point. The idea is this, that this godly man who wants to be Christ to his wife is he's going to be wife aware, and that results in a relationship with her that is marked by consideration, by understanding, and by knowledge. Let me be blunt. Any man can treat a woman like she's a piece of property. Anybody can be dismissive and degrading. Anybody can be degrade, anybody can be condescending, anybody can be demanding or selfish. It doesn't take talent to be a jerk. It doesn't take character to be lazy. It is not a sign of strength when you cut your wife down. You want to know what strength is? When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. It takes a miraculous, gospel-driven power to love your wife as Christ has loved the church. It takes the supernatural presence of the Spirit of Christ for husbands to love your wives and not be harsh with them. That's Colossians 3. So as people see your marriage, as you talk about what it means to be a married man, brothers, does, do people know that, man, your Christianity really shows up and the main way that it shows up is how you treat your wife. Now, Peter gives three reasons why we are to be considerate. Just in case that you might not be convinced, he identifies what does consideration look like and what is now the reason for it? First, because of who she is. Verse seven says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now when you're reading your Bible and you see words like weaker vessel, you ought to go, hmm, what does that mean? Weaker vessel? Historically, some interpretations have landed on that this means women are more emotional, so they're weaker. Others view this word or phrase meaning that they're weaker from a spiritual standpoint, that they're more easily tempted like Eve. I'll stop there with all the other possibilities. I don't think they're right. As I look at the translation, as I see this text, it seems to me that Peter is just simply saying that men generally are stronger than women. Now, I've Met some women, I'm sure, could whoop their husbands, but in general, could we not agree that men have a strength advantage? 
Which is, which is why I think he says showing honor to the woman. He doesn't just say to your wife, but showing honor to the woman. He's making a male-female distinction here. That's why, I mean, just acknowledging that men and women are different, that's why you have an NBA and a WNBA. So you have a men's rugby team and a women's rugby team. Now, with that strength advantage comes some implications. Implications regarding courage and protection and leadership. For instance, for instance if, if we suddenly learned that North Korea landed armed forces on the coast of California, we would not think it very wise if we said, we sent an army of women to fight them. This wouldn't be right. Or if I told you the story that, hey, last night I heard a really big bang in my house. I was in bed, it was late, I heard the, the windows break and everything else. Well, what'd you do? Um, I pulled the covers up and said to my wife, why don't you go check it out? <laughs> That's, Right? But if I told the story in reverse, if it was Sarah, she said, yeah, we heard a big bang. And so I said, why don't you go check it out? Everybody go, yeah, that's all right, right? Husbands are the first down the stairs, right? The image is of her cowering behind me, (laughs) not me cowering behind her. So the point is, is that God designed this difference in order for husbands then to use this difference And it says to show honor to her as a weaker vessel. It means that husbands are to treat their wives with care. They're to use their strength with a spirit of protection, with you're precious to me and I'm gonna guard you and protect you. It means that they use their strength not for abusive authoritarianism. That's right, I'm strong. You better listen to me, woman. But instead to say, God's made me strong so I can protect you, so I can hold you, so that when the storms of life come, I'm gonna take the hit, I'm gonna take the blow, I'm gonna go down the stairs first, I'm gonna one who's gonna lean into this problem. You're not going in there alone, I'm going in, I'm going in first because God's made me this way and I'm gonna protect you because you are a special vessel to me. So men, listen, women need to be treated with honor if, you, if you're not a married man, you need to practice this even now. You ought to treat the women you're dating with honor. She's valuable. She should be protected. She should be guarded. She should be defended. And in different cultures throughout different periods of history, honor is shown differently. So just think, how can you show honor in 2017? How do you show your wife by virtue of your strength that you treasure her? Do you, do you affirm her? Do you protect her? Do you ever open the door for her? Do you, do you ever help with dinner? Now I'm getting personal. Do you know there's a thing in your closet that actually makes the floors clean? It's called a vacuum. And you could honor her by helping. Do you ever text her letting her know that you're praying for her? Do you protect your calendar giving her priority? Do, you, do your kids know that she's special by virtue of how you act? See, being considerate is demonstrated by how you honor your wife. It means that you are a courageous, strong caregiver. Who she is, number two, who you are. Lest you think that Peter's saying men are superior, He indicates that these wives are heirs with you of the grace of life. The idea is that she is just as much an heir of God's grace as you are. So 
brother, husbands, you may have a position of, of delegated divine responsibility, but that doesn't mean that somehow, like spiritually, you're here and your wife is here in terms of value. Peter's pointing back to what he began in verse one with of chapter, or chapter one rather, and the idea of being the kind of people who have a spiritual inheritance, that your wife is just as much a part of the chosen race as you are. She is just as much a part of the royal priesthood as you are. She's just as much a part of the people of God's own possession, that there is a spiritual equity between husbands and wives, between men and women. Now, in Peter's day, this would have been a very radical thing to say since men were generally regarded as superior. And Peter is pointing to this eschatological future where women are going to receive the same spiritual inheritance that men have received. So, brothers, you are married to a, an heiress. She's royalty. In fact, if you're a PBS fan, she's Victoria, you're Albert. She possesses the same promise of the future that you have, and she needs to be treated as such. So don't confuse the difference between men and women as a distinction in value. Your wife has spiritual wisdom, insight, and understanding. She's empowered by the same spirit that you are. She reads the same Bible, worships the same God, pledges her allegiance to the same Lord. And so being considerate of your wife is based upon the fact that she's a fellow heir of the grace of life. And so my question to you, why not allow that grace of life heir to be a part of your life? Oh, how many times my wife has saved me from making a bad decision because either I wisely asked her, what do you think about this? And she'll bring a thought from a, I mean, just left field, like what in the, how, how do you think those thoughts? I would have never thought of that. Or after the fact, helping me to realize a little different angle. So we're to be considered because of who she is, because of who you are. Here's the third one, because of who God is. This is a, a stunning statement that I think should sober us husbands up. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What does it mean that their prayers are hindered? The general point is that how you treat your wife has a direct relationship to your relationship with your God. So it could be that he's not able to pray because he knows how hypocritical it is to pray when he treats his wife like she's not very special. Those kind of men have a hard time praying because they feel hypocritical. They know it somewhere in their soul, like I can't talk to God when I'm treating my wife like this. You ever tried to pray when you're in the argument with your spouse? It's almost impossible. Or maybe it's because he's so self-centered that in treating his wife unfairly or poorly, he then doesn't pray because it's just the other expression of his self-centeredness. Or maybe it's a warning. 1 Peter 3, verse 12 says this, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Hmm. 
So listen, if you're a husband and your spiritual life is flagging, if God feels distant to you, it may be that he's trying to woo you back to a life of godliness and he wants to start with your relationship with your wife. Could it be even like this morning that God's trying to get your attention and, and maybe you're not able to read the word, things don't come to you anymore like they used to, or, or maybe there's not direct answers to prayer, or you're praying and praying and praying, but nothing is happening and you wonder, why are all these difficulties coming your direction? And it may be that God wants to level you and humble you to make you realize you don't just have a God problem, you got a wife problem, and it's not your wife's problem, it's you. And your lack of consideration, your lack of being Christ-like, is actually creating a divinely designed distance where God is putting difficult things into your life, frustrating things into your world, not answering your prayer because he wants you to take a close look in the mirror. It's like God, in effect, says, don't come to me with your prayer request if you can't love your wife like I called you to do. Perhaps God isn't interested in listening to you until you start listening to your wife. Maybe he's withdrawing his presence because you've withdrawn your presence from your wife. Man, I want you to mark it down somewhere in your mind and heart. Brothers, how you treat your wife affects your soul. So the question that we all need to think about is what kind of vision do we have of what a godly man is all about? Whether you're a married man, whether you're a married woman, whether you're single, whether you're young, whether you're old, this text is a really important model of what a courageous, godly husband is to be. Young men, this is what you should strive to be. This is what you need to, to think, that this is what I wanna emulate, and I'm gonna start practicing right now. So I'm taking this girl out to a date, I'm gonna practice what it means to honor. I'm gonna practice what it means to be a protector. I'm gonna protect her reputation. I'm gonna protect her purity. I'm gonna be sure that she knows that she's special to me. And I'm going to treat her that way. If you're a woman, that you realize that don't you go after some guy just because he makes you feel good and you like to be wanted and fill some kind of hole in your heart. You wait for a man who's going to emulate Christ's likeness and follow after this model. Husbands, living with your wives in an understanding way and being considerate, listen, is the main way that you make your Christian exile clear. Anybody in the office can be derogatory to their wife. That takes no courage and no brilliance. Anybody can be condescending and make fun or tell a joke or somehow belittle their wives. Anybody can do that. That takes no intelligence. That takes no courage. And in fact, that isn't the platform to make the gospel clear. Instead, the calling from this text is be a man that treasures your wife to such an extent that people would look at you and go, what in the world? Like, how do you love a woman like that? And your answer is, because I've been loved by that. My Savior transformed my life. And my model is him, and God calls me to emulate the beauty of who and what Jesus is. So men, we are called to use our strength, our authority, and our God-given place in creation not to make us the king of our little castle, but instead to make us little emblems of Christ as we lay our lives down and lay our lives down and lay our lives down and lay our lives down. Tenderness is not weakness. Being considerate isn't being wimpy. 
Rather, the biblical and transformative vision is for strong and godly men who love their wives like Christ loved the church. And this call then becomes a platform for the culture to see. Look how these strong men love their wives tenderly. Must be something different about them. And by taking the beauty of Christ, we make courageous Christ-likeness clear. So brothers, use your marriage as a platform, not for yourself, but as a platform to make Christ attractive to the world. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Let's pray together. In this moment of quiet, before we give a benediction and send you home, I want to pray for some men who this message has hit you right where you are today because you know, your wife knows, but you really know, like I am not, like I'm not a considerate man. And I don't, I don't mean like you're, you're trying and you're, you're not, you're imperfect, I don't mean that. But I mean like, you know right now, if I were to ask your wife, is your husband considerate, she would say, you know, I love him, but he's not. He's not. And I'm gonna ask you to take a courageous step. I wanna pray for you, and in about 15 seconds, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet and say, yes, that's me. I need to grow up in terms of being more considerate to my wife. And you might be sitting right next to your wife but maybe today that step would be the first right step of courage that you've taken in a long time. So I wanna pray for some of you who just feel the divine grace of conviction and say, you know, Lord, I hear you today. I need to grow in this. And I wanna pray for you. And so if that fits the description of your walk right now, brothers, I want you to stand right now. Anybody else? I'm not, I'm not considerate. And I'm sorry. Father, for these brothers who have taken the courageous step just to stand, I'm really grateful that you gave them the grace to do so. I pray now that because they've done this, that you would pour mercy and grace out upon them. Lord, I pray that they would now determine what following you in their marriage looks like. That where they need to turn from where they've done things wrong in the past, that they would own those, embrace them, and then figure out what it means to follow after you. Thank you that they can still hear from you by your spirit. It's a gift that they feel conviction. So Lord, bless these brothers. Help them to figure out what it means to love Christ as they love their wives. Begin hearing their prayers again today, Lord, please, because of even this very moment. And thank you, brothers, you can be seated. Father, I pray for wives whose hearts right now are struggling with bitterness because they think their husband should have stood. I pray you'd help them just to live with their husbands in an understanding way and to be submissive 
And Lord, I pray that you would make the gospel clear today in light of the beauty of what marriage is supposed to be. Would you make marriages strong at our church? Give us godly men who want to follow you and lead their families well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I ask for your focused attention for 30 more seconds? We offer a lot of things for married couples. If your marriage is in need of some improvement, we have mentoring relationships, we have classes that we offer. You go on the website under discipleship, you'll see all kinds of things that are available to you. We have a premarital counseling class that's starting, I think, in May. Oh, to be able to get things in the right place before you get married, that's a great thing. We also have a, a marriage uh, dessert night coming up in June. I think it's June 13th. We just want to do whatever we can. And if you got somebody in your small group that, that seems like their marriage is going well, take them out to dinner and just say, what did you do to try and have a good, godly marriage? If you've been married 40, 50, 60 years, keep following Jesus because you're given great example of what it means to treasure Christ all the way through a long legacy of marriage. In order for our culture to see the beauty of the gospel, it has to work in marriage. If it doesn't work in marriage, the culture has every reason to go, is it real? Because after all, you believe the Bible works, don't you? If we believe it works, we gotta figure out, Lord helping us, how to make it work in marriage. So church, go in grace now, knowing that God loves you, you're a chosen race, and let's use every relationship to platform the gospel this week. I love you. Thanks for coming.